Welcome to the Independent News Hour in New York. I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. I'm joined today by our co-host, Amber Gagarian. Amber, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. Well, in our first segment, we will look at the unfolding crisis in Haiti from a New York perspective. Last week, Haitian President Jovenel Moïse was assassinated in his home by a team of American and Colombian commandos, throwing the country into chaos. Joining us today to talk about the situation and how New York City's Haitian-American community is responding is Rita Joseph. She recently won the Democratic nomination for city council in District 40 in Flatbush and will be the that district's next, next council person. She was born in Haiti and immigrated to the U.S. as a child. She has been an educator and community activist for many years before running for city council. Council member-elect Rita Joseph, thanks for joining us on WBAI Radio. How are you? Thank you. Hi, Amber. How are you? Hi, Hi I'm well. Thanks. Thank you for <laughs> yeah, having me today. You bet. It's great. We can all uh, be together here on the on the radio. Uh, and uh, council member-elect, you're... Uh, First of all, your reaction to the killing of President Jovenel Moise and the crisis that has ensued in Haiti, and also what sort of reactions have you been hearing from other members of the Haitian-American community here in New York City, and how is this affecting them? Um, well, last week, um, Councilmember Farah, Assemblywoman uh, Rodney Spichot, and I, we stood at a press conference together to send our condolences, um, stand in solidarity with the Haitians um, living in Haiti and the Haitian community here in Brooklyn. The areas that we represent are heavily Haitian um, populated. So we we did that. Uh, we sent our condolences and speedy recovery to the First Lady. Um, those were those were the parts that we participated in. Um, for me, political violence is never a way to achieve anything. That's that's always been my stance. Um, so that's what. I I gave away when I spoke last week, and that's the messaging I continue. Hopefully, we'll find a peaceful resolution to a transition of power. And also, um, you know, Haiti's been through hell and back. We had a cholera epidemic outbreak. We had an earthquake. We had so many um, political turmoils. And so today, it's always, um, when does it end? When does it get better? I'm looking for a light at the end of the tunnel, as always. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't grow up in Haiti. I moved here with my grandparents when I was about two years old. So, but I've always been involved in Haiti, whether it's through humanitarian visiting, um, doing groundwork for Haiti and Haitian Americans living here and Haitians living abroad. Right. And, and what kind of reactions have you been hearing um, from the community at large? I think like everyone else, they're just looking for answers. They're just looking for straight answers. How did it happen? Why did it happen? Who did it? You know, the, the, the five, as, as an educator, I'm a teacher, the five whys, why and and the H of course, how, why, when, where, what, who did it, who paid for it. Um, Those are the questions that are being asked. And I'm just waiting to find out what, what the answers are. Um, I'm I'm watching an unfolding just like everyone else. I don't know any more than anyone else. I'm just watching as well. Right. And, and you, your reaction to some political figures in Haiti uh, calling for the U.S. to send troops to Haiti uh, to supposedly stabilize the country. Uh, your thoughts on that? 
Um, my thoughts on that. Um, I've, I've seen the reports and I noticed the calling for it. Um, I don't know if it, I noticed that, um, president Biden said he probably would not because he's now pulling out troops from Afghanistan, um, to that. Um, so I'm just watching and, and seeing how things are developing and as it takes shape, um, when it comes to, you know, Haiti and American policies. But of course, we're on the grounds talking to our federal elected officials as well. You know, my congresswoman is Yvette Clark. Um, you know, we're talking to the, I think they created a Haitian caucus in Congress. So we're talking to those members as well, talking to the ambassador of Washington, D.C., just to, you know, hear what's being said on the grounds and what are the rules. I think um, last night we were in a meeting with him and I think he said um, July 22nd, the, the, memo- the morning period ends. So I guess from there, we they move on with a funeral. We don't know what that looks like. I don't have any other details other than that. Okay, thank you. And uh, another question a little bit on a broader scale is that I think from the U.S. perspective, uh, you hear a lot generally about um, the strife of the Haitians and misgovernment and famine and all these things. But uh, do you have anything to share with us? As you said, you didn't grow up there, but are familiar with the country. Do you have anything to share with us about Haiti for those who might not be so familiar with it politically or socially? Um, Haiti, growing up, I'm going to tell you that my grandparents didn't talk much about Haiti. Um, I did, All I know about Haiti was self-taught. I've grown to love what Haiti stands for. And when I started connecting a lot of the uh, American history with Haiti and I realized how much of an impact we've had, whether it's through music and the arts. I I, I was doing a research when I was in college, come to find out that Langston Hughes spent almost a month in Haiti traveling through the country. And then he became the translators of Governors of the Duke. Come to find out the Marian Andersons, that's where they went to Haiti. And I had the honor and privilege through Danny Glover to meet Catherine Dunham, who went to study dance techniques in Haiti and then bring it here. And I'm like, wow, this is such a rich place. And then come to find out, um, I was doing another research, which I do a lot because I'm a teacher and come to find out during the Holocaust, even, even Haiti was a safe haven for, for Jewish families that was looking to come to the United States to escape the Holocaust. So that we've had so many relationships and and we've always been a freedom-loving country who's always welcome all those who are in distress. I just wish our distress would be alleviated a little bit more. Right. It, 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 it's a country that's really been almost uh, plagued by foreign power since the moment it became uh, independent. In 1804, the, the first uh, slave revolt in history that um, over, you know, overthrew its oppressors and established an independent country and then the French immediately turned around and demanded billions of dollars in reparations, uh, which is, which sounds crazy. Yeah, we uh, didn't stop paying that debt until 1947. So we've always we always have a late start. Everything is always a late start. We're catching up to everyone. And and just to mm-hmm. point out, in 1947, that debt was fully paid. AKA yes, fully paid. Yeah, we paid it until it was until it was all all paid. All paid off. We collected pennies. I don't know what yeah. we did. We sold everything and sold our coffee, whatever it was, to make sure that we we pay back that debt. And in 1947, we did. Right. And, and if I can pivot back to to uh, local matters, since you just recently won uh, election to city council. 
you ran in a in a very uh, competitive, wide open field. Uh, the current council person uh, Matthew Matthew Eugene is uh, term limited, and uh, you ran on a very progressive uh, platform uh, as a as a working teacher and Mom. and, and mother of four, four sons. Yes. Uh, can you uh, talk about what your top priorities will be uh, when you are sworn in on January one, two thousand twenty-two? Um, as I ran my campaign education as an educator, I've been inside the system for 21 years and I've seen where I can make the changes. Um, classroom size has always been big for me. As an educator, I remember teaching, having 32 students sitting in front of me. And as research has said, and no matter how brilliant, no matter how well-trained I am, I can never teach 32. Classroom size is big for me. Providing mental health as they come back from the pandemic in September will be crucial. Social emotional learning, having nurses, having social workers at the school available to students to make sure that we unpack this trauma. COVID-19 traumatized my students. And I saw that firsthand when my students were, you know, food insecurity was real for them. Um, not having access to technology was real. Um, devices, Wi-Fi, the things I take for granted. I'm like, oh, my God, my Wi-Fi is so small. While my, it was so slow, and my students are like, well, Ms. Joseph, I have no Wi-Fi. So, and, and, the, and housing in my district is a crisis. One out of eight of the students that live in my district are homeless. They, they live in shelters, and there's about 11 shelters in my district. And, of course, as a mom of four Black boys, social and police reform is very big on my list. I'm a mom yeah, of go- Explain that a little bit. Explain uh, your your defend your your platform on defund the police and and um, It's, it's about reinvesting some of that funds into things I would love to see. I would love to see after school programs. Um, matter of fact, I would love to see a universal after school program where all kids have that option. Get them off the street. Let's do some music. Let's do some theaters. Let's reinvest some of that money into mental support for them. Um, and mental support and having the schools open. Even now at, at my school, we, we have a beacon program where our school is open up until 9 p.m. Twice a week, we allow the students in the neighborhood to come and play basketball. Of course, there's ground rules, but there, it's a safe haven for them. They won't be on the streets. They won't get into trouble. That's one way to help. And I would love to duplicate that across the district that I, re- I will represent come January 1st. So those are the things that I'm working on. Of course, maternal health is a huge crisis here in Brooklyn, especially in where I'm at in central Brooklyn. Twelve women, every time they go in, especially women of color, to give birth, they die. Giving birth to a child is a joyous moment, not a moment where families are burying the loved ones. Unacceptable. So I have a lot on my plate. Climate change is big. That's been, that was one of my big, my big things, climate change. And people are like, well, I can't worry about the climate if I can't feed my children. Yes, you can, because it affects you, train, asthma, all of that stuff. So Green New Deal, I'm supporting. <laughs> yeah, we just saw our subway stations uh, inundated with floodwaters uh, just last week. Yeah, just last week. The infrastructure is weak, so we need to get our infrastructure strong and make sure um, our city is green, create new green jobs, good union jobs through the, through the, through the, through the Green New Deal. Great. And uh, – we have an interview with you up on independent.org that uh, one of our reporters, Ted Ham, did. And um, we, we have to leave in a minute, but what, um, one really powerful thing you described was your experience of, of having one of your sons uh, pulled over and, and arrested simply for driving a car, which was in your name, and you all share the same last name. Yes. How does, yeah. if you can just elaborate a little bit on, on how being a, a mother of, of, Black children in New York will in, inform your your 
stance toward policing? Yeah, the experience was uh, a traumatic one, and I'm sure it's happened before. I'm sure during stop and frisk, I'm sure they were stopped, they were frisked, but they never come home and tell you. That one incident, my son is the one that came home, my youngest son, they were together, and he's like, Mom, you wouldn't believe what happened to us. And I was like, what happened? He was like, they pulled us over and they put us in handcuffs because um, the description did not, when they ran the plates, the the driver did not match the description. But I'm like, isn't there a conversation like, who are you? Um, what's your name? We share the same name. So um, I, I know he was traumatized over that. And that was something we had to work through because he was, my youngest one was like, but they have the same name. Why would you have him in cuffs and not ask the questions? Because he didn't match the description. Oh, but there's that, that, that left me in a wrong way. So that was one of the ways that I want to definitely use my voice and my platform and as a city a council member to make sure that this doesn't happen to other boys that look like my boys in the city. Right on. All right. Uh, we have to, we have to go now, but uh, Rita Joseph, we will uh, stay in touch with you as, as your time in, in, in service uh, continues. And thank you for joining us this evening on uh, WBAI radio. And thank you for having me. Hi, Amber. Hi, thank you. You're welcome.